Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. How many of you guys would know that God's presence is always there? It's always there. But when we really seek Him, when we fast and when we pray, what do we do? Our hearts become more sensitive to His leading. Does that make sense? Our hearts become more sensitive to what God is speaking and saying to us. And sometimes when our hearts do become sensitive, we have an encounter with God and we're filled with the presence of the Spirit of God. And I want to tell you this morning that there is a power that comes with being filled with the Spirit of God. Now, if you're new to church and, and that freaks you out, just so you know, this is not for charismaniacs, okay? So, you know, or, or charismatics that look like they're out of control, all right? That's what that means. But uh, this is not for, for you know, the, the crazies. This is par for the course. This is standard. In fact, I'll go a step further. This is beyond that. This is absolutely necessary. It's necessary if we're going to be the church, if we're going to be God's hands and His feet, if we're going to fulfill the thing that we have been commissioned by God to do, then we're going to need Him to bridge the gap because a lot of the stuff that He asks us to do, to be honest, without His help, it's pretty impossible. Now, this is not just a New Testament thing. This is a God thing. We can find it in the Old Testament. In fact, I'll tell you one. There's a story in the Old Testament. It's not going to be on the screen, so don't wait for it, but I'm going to read it to you. Out of the book of Exodus chapter 31, there's a guy called Bezalel. And Bezalel was charged with responsibility to help build the temple of God. And so I'm going to read to you out of chapter 31, verse 3. God says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence. That'd be nice if it just came in a hit. With knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs. Some of you didn't know that graphic design was a gift of the Spirit. So here it is to devise artistic designs to work with gold, silver, and bronze. I'm going to drop down just a a verse. In verse 6, he says, I have given to all able men ability. Now listen, because there's a purpose attached here, that they may make all that I have commanded you. He gave them power. He gave them ability. And He gave them His Spirit so that they would have that, so that the Spirit of God would flow through them and be expressed in this very specific way so that they would be able to do what God had asked them to do, which was to what? Build the temple of God. It's a lot of work to build a temple, you know. And so if we're talking about, you know, the, the, the temple of God, um, back then it, it was just a, uh, a, a pop-up church. It was like they would pack it up and, and, and carry it with them on their backs and they would go to different places and set up there because they were nomadic people. And so they wanted to design it and make it beautiful. And this is what God did. Now, in order for Bezalel to be filled with the Spirit of God, he had to be sanctified. Now, whenever something is sanctified, it means it's been set apart for a holy purpose. Say set apart. apart. Okay, so people can be set apart for a holy purpose. And then after he was sanctified, he was filled and the expression of that Spirit of God moving in him was most evidently seen in his artistic ability so that the temple looked beautiful. Who knew that God cares about how things look, you know? Just want to clean this, you know, the place up, make it look nice. and, And, you know, God cares about the details. He does. And so people could be sanctified, 
But just so you know, when it came to, uh, you know, the temple and what they were building for God, uh, it wasn't just that that was, that was um, sanctified. It wasn't just the people that worked on it. It was more than that. Uh, they would have holy instruments. So, you know, there would utensils that were sanctified, you know, just not your ordinary everyday tongs uh, that you find out of the kitchen. Kitchen drug, oh, disgusting, get rid of that, right? These were holy tongs, you know, holy. <laughs> and, and so they were holy, they were set apart for, uh, for, for God and, and for His purpose. And so all of this, you know, you think about it, you're sanctifying utensils, there's building, you, you, you know, you're designing, it's a lot of work, a lot of work just to build the temple. Now, the Spirit of God came on people in the Old Testament, just specific people. But the prophet Joel said and prophesied about a time in the future. And this is what he said. And it's in the Old Testament. I'm going to read it to you out of the book of Acts, though. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. It says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Say all flesh. All right, so that's just all people. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Visions happen when you are awake. Dreams happen when you are asleep. There's every reason to believe, even while I'm speaking to you today, that God may pour out into your mind's eye a picture of what He wants you to do with your life. There could be a ministry called that becomes evident even as I'm preaching right now. And there's this sense, this longing, this drawing. This is exactly how God would work. The language of the Spirit of God is dreams and visions. And He says it's going to happen. On verse 18, it says, Even on my male servants and my female servants. So not just the well-to-do, but everybody, male, female, no distinguishing there. He says, I'm I'm going to make sure that this is poured out on everyone. He goes on to say, in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. What an exciting yeah. prophecy for the prophet Joel to share. So undoubtedly, Israel thought this is going to be awesome. So they waited and they waited. Some of them died. Their descendants waited and they were waiting a really long time. It didn't happen necessarily in their lifetime, you know, but they were waiting. And then one day, a guy by the name of Jesus, right, he was born by the Virgin Mary. And just so we're really clear about who Jesus was, fully God and fully man, always was completely divine, except he was in human form. Okay, And so here he comes and he is he's born to the Virgin Mary, as I say, and he starts to do amazing miracles. People see the stuff that he's doing. I mean, gosh, Jesus did amazing stuff. You know, let me tell you something. Just, you know, sometimes I reckon in church, we become overly familiar with the miraculous stuff that we read. It's almost like, yeah, we've heard that story. Tell us something fresh, right? Let's just rewind the tape for just a minute. Because I tell you, if you were there and you saw what I'm about to tell you, you'd be like blown away. You would be, right? Even though you understand who God is, you'd be like, what? That's crazy. So here they are. They've been traveling for a period of time. And, uh, you know, Jesus is teaching and a lot of people are following and then they're all hungry. And the disciples say, well, you know, we've got to feed these people. Let's look after them. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. 
Well, if you've ever felt underqualified for the task that the Lord has given to you, boy, did they feel underqualified. <laughs> Where are we going to get um, you know, enough food to feed everyone? And, he, and Jesus said, steal that little boy's lunch over there. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> uh, you know, but it would have been funny if he did. And so anyway, they, 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 they some, somehow, somehow they get, in, they get possession of a little boy's lunch. Okay, let's just, I assume he gave it up. And so here they are. We, we, we've got <laughs> seven loaves and a few fishes, right? And uh, Jesus blesses it. And then he says, pass it out. Well, it takes faith to begin to pass it out because you think, well, we'll satisfy the front row and then everyone's going to hate us. And so they get the bread and they start to pass it out and they get to the front row, right? And then uh, I imagine the disciples, full of faith as they were, they probably went to the the second row and they're like, guys, I'm so sorry. They're like, "Uh, here you go, right? And they would be like, but guys, really sorry through it. You know, (laughs) can you imagine that, right? So here's what's amazing. Jesus prays and blesses it. Whose hands does it multiply in? The disciples' hands. See, this is what God does. He, he wants us to be His hands and feet. He's doing the work, but, but here we are involved in expressing what the kingdom is doing. So He starts handing this, this, this food out, right? And then and they've got a few fish. Oh, be quiet, Siri. And so anyway, they start handing out the, the, the food and, the, you know, and, and it feeds like thousands and thousands of people. Guys, uh, that's an amazing story. Don't just become so familiar with it that you forget how miraculous it is. Let me give you another one just for good measure. Um, you know, here comes Peter and, and he's required to pay temple tax. And, you know, again, he's like, uh, yeah, temple tax. Let me get that. I must have left it in my wallet at home. Right? He doesn't have what he needs. How often do we as the people of God just not have what we need to do what is required of us in a moment? So Jesus says, right, okay, Peter, I want you to go fishing. I want you to pull out a fish. Don't worry. Don't worry. It'll be fine. Peter goes fishing, pulls out a fish. In the mouth of the fish is a coin that's worth more than the temple tax, like way more than what the temple tax that was owed, right? It wasn't Peter lucky, just blind, just dumb luck. Imagine catching the only fish that had a coin in its mouth. I think you get where I'm going with this. He could have caught any of them. It wouldn't matter. That was the one with the coin. That's how God works sometimes. Listen, stop trying to figure out what is in the realm of the miraculous. Just accept that God is able to do abundantly above what you think, you hope, and you imagine, and just go with it. So you imagine if you were, if you were like, had to pay your taxes, right? You didn't set enough aside, and you're told, you know, your, your husband or your, or your wife, babe, I'm going fishing. Not got a word from the Lord. Just reckon this is going to work out just fine. You know, just, Jesus, give me a fish with lots of money. Anyway, so, so these stories, these are amazing. So Jesus is out and doing amazing miracles. And they're like, man, I wonder if the disciples thought to themselves, man, what would we do without you? Well, interestingly, Jesus said something in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, spelt with a capital H, isn't it? You don't look sure. Guys, it is. That was easy. Like this is a, there are open book tests and open book tests. It's, it's already on the screen. You could have just nodded like you can read. Okay. So, so the reason capital H, right? It's because it's the name of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it awesome that one of the things he does is help us? So he says, if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Now you'd be thinking, if Jesus said that to you, you'd be thinking, did you bump your head on the way in today, Jesus? Not trying to like criticize you or anything. I'm sure you're very clever, but right. 
but you're the one that's doing all the miracles. Like, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but it's always you. You're the one that's doing all of the miracles. And Jesus, if you go, who's going to do all the miracles? Right? You see where I'm going with this, don't you? Some some of you are like, I see what you did there, right? Because Jesus had a plan. He has a plan. And, And like... I think he might have said this to them. Don't look for this next part because it's not Scripture. Totally made it up, just so you know. I feel like Jesus might have had a conversation with them, you know, around about this point, maybe just after this where he goes, well, listen, guys, I see that you're freaking out about, you know, if I go, I'm going to go somewhere. They didn't, By the way, they didn't know what that meant. They didn't know where he was going to go. But they're like, Jesus, you can't leave. Who's going to do the miracles, right? And Jesus would say, the last three years, guys, You know how we've been doing this thing together? You know, you've been walking around. Do you know I handpicked you? Yep. Do you know that I didn't just find the first 12 people that I came across? Like I prayed about you all night and I handpicked you because actually what's going to happen is we've been doing an apprenticeship and what I have been doing, I'm going to get you to do, right? So so what happens? Well, here is Jesus, amazing Jesus, and He dies. And it's devastating. And the disciples are shocked, but he resurrects and they don't really understand that he's done that yet. And here they are in, an, in a room somewhere, um, huddled together, probably praying, in all honesty, freaking out because they're thinking they're, the Romans are coming for us next. They killed, you know, Jesus. Now they're going to come for us. So here they are. And in the middle of that meeting that they're having, Jesus just walks through a wall. Yeah. I feel like some of you are looking at me like, you, you know, your deer's in the headlight, like you're still waiting for the amazing part to drop. Guys, the beat just dropped, okay? That was it. Like Jesus just walked through a wall. He, like, and sometimes, like seriously, don't become too familiar with the stories in the Bible. Let me, maybe I'll rephrase that because it's become so, you've heard it so many times, you forgot what, how amazing it was, right? Every molecule in the universe bends to the power of the will of God. Sometimes we just need to rehear it, don't we? Yeah. Jesus walks and the molecules just shift out of the way because he wasn't a ghost, but they thought he might be, right? Even they're like, can we touch? (laughs) So he walks in and he's like, yeah, you can touch me because I'm flesh and blood. So here is flesh and blood walking through a wall as the molecules bend around the person. I tell you what, if he can bend the molecules around his body, what do you think he can do in your life? So he walks into the room and, and they see him. Of course, I said they, they, that he freaks out, but he's, he says, no, nah, guys, I'm, I'm flesh and blood. In fact, I'm kind of hungry. He says, can I have some fish? And he feeds, they say, yeah. So he eats the fish and then he breathes on them, you know. <laughs> Have you ever read that and thought, disgusting? Right? Yeah, now, I don't know which order it came in, right? but I believe if he can bend the molecules in the universe, it was probably the, the, like, the, the mintiest, freshest breath you've ever had. He just breathes on them. They're like, oh, you even smell good, Jesus. You know? and, and so he breathes on them. And do you remember what he said? He said, I want you to receive what? The Holy Spirit. I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, something interesting happens because he told them in that moment to receive the Spirit. But then what did he follow it up with? He then told them, by the way, do not leave Jerusalem until you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Gosh, that's interesting. 
Didn't they just receive it? Well, we see two things happening here. We see a filling happening. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, but that's not the same thing as waiting around for them to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. These things are two different things. So we can see that the Spirit of God can fill people and come upon them, but then He can baptize them in His Spirit and they are different things. So I want to read a scripture to you because He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, but you will receive power. Everyone say power. That's where we get our word dynamite from. The Greek word is dunamis, right? It means explosive power. You'll ex- you will receive explosive power. This is the power that He promised to them. This is, He said, stick around, wait for the Holy Spirit, okay? So they were filled. He said, wait for the um, baptism of the Spirit. And He says, you'll receive power, which they needed to do what He had already commissioned them to do. All right, so we, let's think about even the Great Commission. Go out, heal the sick, raise the dead. I told you, sometimes we feel ill-equipped to do what God's asked us to do, which is why He told them to wait, because He says I'm going to take care of it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, who's a person, has feelings, can convict, can be offended, who gives guidance, even provides wisdom, has come upon you. There's something about the presence of God that comes upon a person that shifts the playing field that tips the scales in our favour. Amen. He says, and you will be my witnesses. Translation martyrs. Sounds a lot nicer as witnesses, doesn't it? But, but you've got to understand when they start to preach the gospel, it's not going to be received because the God of this world doesn't want people to hear it, right? So he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, when I talk about the God of this world, I'm talking about the devil, the Bible says He's the God of this world, but He's not the God that we worship. But he, he does not want people to preach the gospel. What's the gospel? The greatest news that we could ever hear, that God loved the world, sent Jesus, paid the penalty for our mistakes. When you go to work, you get paid, yeah? He says the wages of sin is death. Jesus died in our place, which means He took our punishment. So if we put our faith and our trust in Him, we don't get that. We get to walk into eternal life with God forever. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay, I, I'm, I'm so glad that you said that, honestly. I, I, re- I really am. So, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, what is that? It's concentric circles that work from the inside out. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God has a plan to let this message reach people everywhere. And here is what's amazing. In the Old Testament, that power that came upon them, that filled them, that enabled them, it would only come upon a few people. The prophet Joel said there'll come a time in the future where it'll be accessible to everyone that follows Jesus. All right. So what was accessible to a few is now accessible to everyone. And you see how powerful it was in the Old Testament. Now God is creating a people group for Himself called the church 
who all have that capacity, who all have that ability. And you think about the work that it took to just build the temple to where, you know, to the point where they would build the temple. You think about the work that was involved in that. Even for, it was a tabernacle and then it was a temple, right? And, and all of those things, it took work. They had to get before God, obey the commandments, sanctify utensils, sanctify tongs, not like your common tongs at home, right? So they're doing all of this work so that they can create a house that could be filled with God. And guys, here is the amazing part. What took hundreds of years and so much work, God has been able to reduce to a confession in Christ because now God doesn't want to fill a temple that's made with human hands. He has created a new temple and it's His people. How, that deserves a clap, everyone. Because what took years and years and years and work and work and work, He's reduced to the confession because the moment that you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Saviour, in that instant you are forgiven, you are set free, you are declared righteous by the power of God. As Christian people, we are not self-righteous. We know where our righteousness comes from and it's a gift of grace that's bestowed upon us by faith in our Saviour. Amen. Oh, that's exciting, everybody. That was really good. It even sounded good while it was coming out. I'm listening. I'm getting saved while I'm saying it. Not really. But you know, it's, it, I'm like, this is exciting stuff. You don't understand. Look, people waited hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to get what we might just become familiar with. So now what happens? We are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Yeah. Okay, so just how much of that Spirit do we get? How, how much do we get? Like is, is the Holy Spirit like one Spirit and then He has to divide Himself up seven billion ways and He's like, you, like Oprah, you get a Spirit, you get the Spirit, you get the Spirit, you get the Spirit, right? Is that, is that what's happening? No. You know what the Scriptures say? They say that He gives the Spirit without measure. It means it's poured out lavishly on us. Yeah. How much spirit do we get? How much power are we connected to? And here's the answer, more than enough. How much do we get? M more than enough. We get way more than we need. When God empowers people, we sometimes call that the anointing. The anointing is divine favour, enabling you to do what would ordinarily be impossible. But since God has called you to do something that you could not do on your own, He graces you with His presence and His gifts, enabling you to do what you could never do on your own. The Scriptures are filled with God bridging the gap for people that could not do things on their own and is most evidently seen in the New Testament church when the Spirit of God is poured out. Now, we have more than enough. We have more than we need. The prophet Isaiah said that even Jesus would be called what? The Anointed One, like special, like the Anointed. Even Jesus is anointed. He's anointed. And there's so much power in the presence of God. Sometimes we might become over familiar with it, but there's so much power in the presence of God, more than enough, more than what we need. My kids play video games and guys, no judgment here today. So I'm going to be honest, right? Sometimes they play games and they involve guns, all right? 
They do. Don't judge me. And so every now and then, like I'll hear one of them say something like, oh, look at this. And they'll find a gun somewhere. Somebody's dropped it. Someone just dropped it. They weren't killed. They just, they just dropped their gun. It's unfortunate how it plays out in video games. Anyway, someone's dropped a weapon. Anyway, they pick it up, right? And they say something like, oh, they say, this is so OP. Right? Oh, look at, oh, look at this. This is so OP. Right? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You don't, right? Yep, yep. It's because you don't have kids, right? Do you know what it stands for? Overpowered. <laughs> Right, they find a gun that can just level the playing fields. See how I did that? Yep, yep. Not people, the playing field. Anyway, so, so they, find, they find a gun that can destroy everything. Right? They say, oh, this is so OP. Look at this. This thing is going to fix everything. Look at this. As soon as they've got that, this is so OP. Guys, guess what? We are so OP. Yeah. We are so OP. We are unbelievably overpowered for the things that we've been asked to do. But sometimes what happens is we've become so familiar with what we've got that we forgot what it's able to do. How much power do we have? More than enough. More than enough. There's a bunch of stuff in life that you don't need the Spirit's power for. All right. You don't need the Spirit's power to get up out of in, in the morning right, and make your bed. You don't need the Spirit's power for that. My daughter Eliana does, but apart from her, like, uh, okay, apart from her, right, you, you, don't need, you don't need the Spirit's power to make your cereal in the morning. You don't need the Spirit's power to get out of bed and, you know, have your cereal, get to work. You don't need the Spirit's power to do that. Guys, people are going to work everywhere, you know, and they don't even believe in Jesus. There's a bunch of stuff that just regular everyday people are doing, just like we do. They don't need the Spirit's power, right? We don't need the Spirit's power to do that. But there are times where we face a gap between where we are and what He's asked us to do. And in that moment, we need the Spirit to bridge the gap. We actually do need His presence. That power is for a purpose. The reason God filled um, Bezalel with his spirit was for a purpose. And the reason he fills his church with his spirit is for a purpose. You know what it is? Ministry. And every single person in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, is called to ministry. There is a calling on every single person in this room. Don't believe me? Read the book of Corinthians. What does it say? Let each person live as they are. I, I thought you'd pick that one up as I was going there. I thought the answer was in the question, you know, like, you know, but, but it, let each one live as they are called. Each person has a calling. And we need the presence and the Spirit of God to do that. So, so what do we know? God has supplied more than enough power, more than what we need. But in order to access that power, it requires faith. It requires faith. The word faith can be translated a couple of different ways, but it can be just translated as trust. It could be. We call it faith as trust. Trust in what? God. Trust in Him. So the obvious question would be, if you want to move in the Spirit, if you want to see things happen, right? The obvious question is, how do you get more faith? Right? Because if you get the faith, you get access to God's 
power through the Holy Spirit, yeah? So how do you get more faith? Well, we don't have to wonder because we're actually told by, about this by the Apostle Paul. He said this in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. If you want to increase in your faith, you need to hear the Word of God. You need to hear it. Now, in some sense, you're hearing it right now. But there are multiple ways that you can hear the Word of God. One of the ways you can hear the Word of God is to just read the Word of God. And as you start to read the Word of God, we are told that the Spirit of God will illuminate things from this and speak to you through this. So when you're reading, the Spirit's speaking. Does that make sense? Okay, the Spirit is speaking. So, So we can hear it through preaching. Listen, You can hear it through preaching. You can hear it through teaching. You can get it any old house. Matter of fact, I'm doing it right now, okay? So you can. There is some part of that 80s part of me that is buried deep inside. Every now and then, it just needs to come out, all right? So so here we are. Here we are. And we need to get this Word of God into our hearts. And when we get that into our hearts, right, we increase in our faith. Now, how much, listen to this. How much faith do we need to really see things move? You know, we've all prayed for stuff, haven't we? You know, how much, what what mountain do I need to ascend to in the levels of my faith? How much faith? Well, I'm going to give you the answer right now. So if you want to, if you want that level of faith, how much faith do we need? You need as much as a mustard seed. Yep. How much do you need? Mustard seed. Mustard seed is proverbial in the Jewish culture and community for being something very small. And Jesus said something interesting. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed, and it will be. Mountains are synonymous with impossible problems. Translation. If you have a little bit of faith, you can speak to impossible problems and see them be shifted and moved. That's exactly what he's saying. I thought that would be a little more exciting for you today. It's okay. I'll I'll try to to preach better. Um, Thanks, Matt. There are laws and principles that we see in the Bible. So the law of sin and death, right? So if you sin, the wages of death, right? So there are different laws that we see. The laws for moving in the Spirit's power, right, at a basic level, if you want to do that, it requires faith. It requires faith. This is what Jesus was saying, what He was teaching. When He said that thing about the mountains, He's saying, listen, if you want to see things shift and move, it requires about a mustard seed's worth of faith. Listen to this, Hebrews 11 verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and He rewards those who seek Him. You have to believe. You have to believe. Or how about James 1, 5 to 8? Now, we don't have it on the screens there, but I'll tell you what it is, right? He says, if you come to God and you ask Him, but you doubt Him, you should not suppose that you're going to receive anything. He said, someone who does that and doubts is 
unstable in all of his ways. Okay, so what does this mean? Because if you're hearing this today and you're like, oh gosh, like there have been moments where I think, I don't know if God's going to do this, right? So there are doubts and doubts. Guys, it's okay every now and then to have some doubts, but let's just break it down what it means. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace unless they bow down and worship the king, right? And they say, well, we're not doing it. And he says, if you don't, we'll throw you into the fire. And they say, look, God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not doing it, all right? So they've got faith, but they're not sure what God's going to do, okay? Have you ever felt that tension? You've got faith, but you're not sure what God's going to do, all right? That's not the kind of thing that James is talking about. The kind of thing James is talking about is when you say, God, I pray that you'd fix this situation, but you probably won't. Do you see the difference? One is just assessing your circumstances. The other one's assessing his character. One is um, we believe in God and his goodness, but we're not sure what's going to happen. The other one is we don't believe in the goodness of God. So yeah, I'm asking, but it's probably not going to happen. And that's the difference. And if you try to live a life where you go, yep, I'm in, yeah, God, I pray for you to help, but you probably won't, right? Now, what are you doing? You're double-minded. Of course you're double-minded. How can you pray for anything in faith while you fully expect Him not to answer? And that's why he says things like, you must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. If you don't believe that, how are you going to get close to God? He's probably not there. I don't care. He's not even good, right? That's the kind of thing that James is talking about. Now, when I think about this and I think about the kind of small faith that we need to to see power move, it's not a lot. Would we agree based on what we've talked about? Because, you know, mustard seed is proverbial for something very small. Jesus said, in other words, you need this amount of faith to move mountains. Now, here's the thing. I know that, and you know that. Now, if I was the devil, and of course I'm not, but if I was the devil, you know what I would do? I would destroy your faith in order to disconnect you from the Spirit's power. That's what I, that's what I would do. In fact, I, guys, to be honest, I've pretty much just finished my introduction today. Yep, don't freak out. The last part's quite short, but I pretty much told you everything I've already told you to get to this one part right here. If I was the devil, I would destroy your faith in order to disconnect you from the Spirit's power. See, the, th- the thing about the devil is he's a liar. And he knows that he has no authority over you and he can't stop you. He can't do it. He's, he's not able to. Now, he's the one that's ill-equipped, right? What he can do is whisper into your ear to talk you out of doing what God's called you to do. That's what he can do. And people buy into it. But I'm telling you right now, the devil is a liar. He can't stop that power from happening. He can't stop the Spirit of God moving through you. So he just tries to talk you out of it. And the saddest part is there are people everywhere that actually listen to that and actually believe it. And so sometimes what happens, we, we pray to God and we're seeking Him for things. And, and sometimes, guys, honestly, we, we don't get the answers that we're seeking. Yeah. So what do we do? We, sometimes we dishonour God by reducing our prayers to something sizable that He's able to manage. Yeah. 
God, you weren't able to deliver this, so I'll just try to ask you for that. Don't approach God like that. We're not supposed to come to God and say, look, you weren't able to heal this person, so I won't even ask you for it with the next person. I don't always understand why God does things, but I've seen miracles happen. I prayed for colds and colds and seen them stick around. And we prayed for people to be totally healed from cancer and other diseases, right? And it happens. I don't always understand why it happens, right? But I'm saying, don't downgrade your prayers and your expectation to whatever you've seen in your past or what you think that God's able to do. Do you know what God said to His people in the Old Testament? Let me read to you out of Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. He said, ask of me, ask of me. 100%, the biggest reason that we have for unanswered prayers, the number one cause of unanswered prayers is because they've never been prayed. That's, that's number one cause. And, and, and the reason why we, we don't do what I just said, which is to ask Him, is because we've lowered our expectations. See, there was a point in, in, in our past where we believed that God was able to do something. And what happened, it began as fervent prayer, right? God, bring my kids back to know who you are. They're walking away from you. God, I pray, heal my grandma because she's sick, she's got cancer. God, would you fix this? God, would you fix that? Right? And, we, and there was a point where you were asking, but you know what happens? Is that your asking starts just to go around in your mind until it becomes thinking. And instead of asking God for breakthrough, you just start to think about breakthrough and you downgrade your prayers. It's not even spoken anymore. You just start to go, it would be really nice if, if that person could be healed. That would be, that would be really nice. Now it's not even prayers. You're just thinking about it now. You're not speaking, you're not praying. He says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. He said it to Israel. Guys, nations, nations. Some of you are thinking, come on, that's Old Testament. You're missing the point. Look at his capacity to give. Look at the capacity. He he said to Israel, I can give you nations. And it's my sneaking suspicion that he still wants to do it with the New Testament church because he said, baptize nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what, come on, that deserves more than that. And, And so sometimes what we're supposed to do is not bring our prayers down. He wants to deliver nations. And we're saying, God, could you just help me pay my Telstra bill? We're going to lift up our eyes and see the capacity of what God is able to do, of what His kind of prayers He's able to pray. So let me ask you a question. This is pointed, right? What are you believing for? Like, what are you believing for today? Come on, it's got to be something, right? You can't, you can't be in here today, a follower of Jesus, and not be believing for something. Come on, what are you believing for today? What, do you, what is it that, that at one stage used to burn in your heart? I want to tell you a couple of things. See, what destroys your faith will ruin your ministry. Because if you've got no faith, how can you move? So what destroys your faith ruins your ministry. I'm going to tell you three things today. I think these things are of God for our church today. These three things can 
destroy your faith. Here's the first one, delay. How many of you have prayed for something? Set my daughter free from drugs. And and, and you've been praying and you've been asking, Lord, heal heal my friend. Let let my wife be healed. How many times have you prayed a prayer and you've been waiting and you've been waiting and and it hasn't happened? And it starts to become demoralizing. I think unanswered prayer is one of those things that actually starts to destroy and erode your faith. But guys, can I be totally honest? I am so glad that God hasn't answered all of my prayers. Yeah. You know, I, I am sure that there are so many dumb prayers I've prayed and God said, I love you too much to say yes. Yeah. The other thing as well is I have no idea what God is working out. How do I live? How do you live with the tension of unanswered prayer? Easy, we believe in the goodness of God. And I'm believing that He's going to do something miraculous. I'm believing He's going to do a saving work, right? And I don't understand why it happens. But we listen, if I'm trying to figure out if God is good, I'm not going back to my list of unanswered prayers. I look at the cross. I look at Calvary. I make my decision there. And any God who's willing to sacrifice His only Son so that I could become a temple for Him to fill His Spirit with is a God I can trust, a God that loves me, a God that poured out His love so lavishly for me. And that's where I take my cue on His character. Does that make sense? So what happens if you have unanswered prayer for long enough, right? You become discouraged. I always say, don't underestimate the power of discouragement. It's the number one reason why pastors quit and they're supposed to know God pretty well. They're meant to talk about Him and talk about His character and His goodness. And it's still the number one reason why people, that it's their profession, their calling, their ministry is to talk about the goodness of God and they quit because they're discouraged. Seriously, what has discouraged you to the point where you, you are no longer even asking for the things that God has once put in your heart? When you're discouraged, I mean, it, it ruins your ministry. I've discovered that discouragement can come in so many ways. Sometimes, honestly, it's just the enemy whispering into your ear. You know what he starts to say? He says stuff like this. He says, look at what other people are doing and look at where you're at in life. You know what what that is? That's comparison. I mean, listen, seriously, if you really want to be discouraged, right, spend five minutes on Instagram and look at how well they're all doing. It happens all the time. You think I'm joking? Guess what? Number one reason, depression in in teenage girls is going through the roof right now in our culture. The number one reason for that, social media. And it's not just social media, right? But it's because they're comparing their lives to what they see on there. And they're like, why are they so much more beautiful than me? Look at their life. Look at what's going on. See, when you start to, if you want to ruin what God is doing in your life, start to compare it to what God is doing in other people's lives. Look at their ministry. Look at what God's doing in them. Look at how God has blessed them. How come I didn't get that job? How come I wasn't blessed? Look at the car that they're driving, the holidays they're taking. How come God doesn't love me enough to bless me like that? I've been seeking Him. You've got to be careful where you draw conclusions from. Delay often leads to discouragement. And I find it to be a process, right? So, So delay, discouragement, and you know where you land? Denial. And the devil will come and he'll whisper things into your ear. 
And he'll start to say things like, see? God can't fix this. I told you that. I told you. See? God won't heal your marriage because you had that argument. See? God won't heal your daughter because she's still struggling with it today. See, it's not going to happen. See? I told you. He starts to whisper lies. And, and, and I tell you right now, the devil is a liar. And it's the people of God. We cannot, we cannot be afford to be taken in by these things that destroy people's life. You got to understand something. There's so much opposition to what the church is doing. You know why? Because there's an entire kingdom devoted to our destruction, the kingdom of darkness. And they are not just going to allow you to build your faith and outwork the kingdom of God. They're not going to allow you to do that if they can stop it. The problem is they can't stop you. They just tell you that they can. And they talk you out of how good God is. And they talk you out of how much power He's got. How much power does God have? More than you need. More than enough. I tell you the truth, there is not one problem in here today that is outside of the realm of what God is able to do. Not one, not one, not one. And the problem is, is that you have not cognitively processed that. You internalised it to the point where your once prayers became thoughts, mute thoughts, and you're no longer asking for things that God is able to deliver because you've just been delayed, discouraged, and you've landed in a place called denial. But it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. And you need to hear this. Some of you have people that you love, that you care about, and they are far from God. Some of you have people that are just going through hell right now. It feels like hell on earth, right? And they are going through the fire. Some of you in this room today, you might know someone that's got a, a, a really difficult marriage. You know someone that's, maybe it's you, I don't know, but you're going through an incredibly tough time and you've come to a place where it's so hard to believe that God is able to do what He says He can. I tell you, the devil's a liar. It's not true. It's not true. It's not true. The same Spirit, that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. The same Spirit that filled the disciples at Pentecost, it lives in you. Every miracle you've ever seen, everything you've ever read about is not some other Spirit and you don't have a portion of it. He poured it out lavishly in your life. How much do you need? How much have you got? More than you need. More than you need. More than you need. And it's like we have to just renew our minds in what's actually true. How much do we have? More than enough. More than enough. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.